Okay, if you're looking to purchase a house on the Jersey Shore to live there, vacation home, investment property, it's absolutely critical that you understand what your rights are to the land and to the water surrounding it. So everyone knows, I mean, there's a lot of people that say they're experts in fields, and Joe won't say this, but Joe's an absolute expert in the title industry and really the history of the state of New Jersey. I mean, you're director and chief instructor of the Gravis Institute for Consulting and Education, where you do continuing education for attorneys, for real estate agents, basically anyone uh, in the industry. You've done over 100,000 title reviews or issued title policies in five states and all 21 counties in New Jersey. So I know you're a busy guy, Joe. Thanks for taking the time. That's quite all right. I'm, I'm happy to be here and, uh, and happy to share some of my experience. So, all right. So there's 140 miles-ish of coastline in the state of New Jersey, 58 beaches, 42 communities that consider them beach communities in this state. And when you're looking to purchase a property in the water area, I mean, it's not necessarily like purchasing a house inlet, correct, Joe? As far as title and issues that's, that can that, come up. That's right. Uh, and and the funny thing is, you said 140 miles, but what you're not what you're not counting is all of the water that used to be there. Right. Uh, and 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 what do I mean by that? I mean that at different times. Uh, especially in New Jersey, which is, is well-developed, especially in the shore area, a lot of water has been filled in in order to accommodate development. Mm -hmm. Well, the deal is that the state feels that they own that land. They own that land since the day we beat the British back in <laughs> 1776. Right, let me just make sure that I understand what you're saying with that, Joe. So, even if there used to be water there, so because we know everything changes, the topography right. of the earth changes, you fill in places to build uh, different developments, the state still owns that property where water once existed? Yes, it actually goes back to Roman times, okay. uh, and it's called the public trust doctrine. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that the water is an asset, a public asset that's there for everyone's benefit. Mm -hmm. But there has to be someone who watches over the water, who maintains it, who makes sure that it's not corrupted. Uh, and, and we saw, uh, obviously, a lot of that uh, in our history, sure. back when you used to be able to walk across the East River, practically, you know, because of the pollution. Sure. Uh, a lot of that's changed because of this public trust doctrine, okay. uh, but also for commerce and navigation, mm -hmm. right? So... That public trust doctrine was codified into English common law. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, England owned all of this before us. And then when we were successful in the revolution, we stepped into the rights of the king. Okay. Okay. Which included the ownership of the water. Exactly. exactly. And that's kind of carried over. And New Jersey's one of the first states, if not the first state, to really kind of take that over, correct? So, yeah, so in, in 1969, there was a Supreme Court case 
O'Neill versus uh, the New Jersey Department of Transportation. Mm -hmm. And uh, what it did was it looked deeply at the ownership of lands underwater. Okay. It's not that the state didn't recognize that beforehand. The state had been giving out grants for land underwater all the way back to 1804. The very first grant was in Jersey City in 1804, but it was out in the water. Mm -hmm. It was to build a, a dock or a wharf or something like that uh, to promote development along the waterfront. If anybody is familiar with the Holland Tunnel, mm -hmm. and as you're coming down, the ramp yeah. towards the Holland Tunnel. You know, it's an yeah, elevated highway. Coming down into and, you got, and there's a big warehouse on your right-hand side. Oh, I know where it is. The minute you touch ground and flatten out, that was formerly water. Everything from there all the way to what is water today was a huge bay. And that was all filled in, actually, by hand years ago. Imagine. By, with buckets and <laughs> horses. Buckets and bats. Uh, and, and, of course, today there's all... You know, there's all homes there and, and, and things. So a question for you, Joe. So when you look at purchasing property and you're purchasing property that's on the water, does the state own the water once you get to the tip of it and the land underneath it? Or can I own a little bit of it? So so the, the state is generally presumed to own all land below the mean high water line. All right. And remember, it's not the water that they own. It's the land under the water. The land the water. under the water. Okay. That, that so the own. water is public. Right. Okay. Exactly. Public that, water, private that, land. That's another thing. If you had a marina, say, and you went there and you were in a boat and you wanted to go fishing, you could pull into a marina, even though that marina owner owns the marina land and the land underwater, you can go in there with your boat and you can fish all day and he cannot throw you out hmm. because it's subject to the rights of the public. Got it. All right, so if someone on the shore owns 50 feet of beachfront, private residence, right. I can't step on their beach, but I can swim past the house or boat past the house because they do not own the water. Well, or walk past the house on in any portion of the land that's below. I mean, at yeah. low tide, Makes sense. you can go in, in that area. Now, in recent years, there's been an expansion of the public trust doctrine with regard to beach access. Okay. So basically people are saying, well, if we have a right to the water and we have a right to that beach area below the mean high water line, how do we get there? Do we have to take a boat there every time? And so there's been a lot of litigation. Well, you see happened. a lot of it, Joe. Yes. So you know that, it, so there's no such thing as a private beach mm -hmm. in the state of New Jersey, correct? That's correct. Okay. So then what they do, what you see is people limit access to the beach. Right. So if you have a seawall, and someone may build stairs to go over it, but that's private. Those stairs to go right. over it, so you may not be able to access the beach. So to right. your point, like, how do you get there? Yeah, so say you had a property that's right on the water, and, and it's, it's be what we call an undefended shoreline. In other words, there's no bulkhead. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, a beach, what we call a beach. You can't go and hang out on that person's backyard on the sand <laughs> and say, well, what do you mean, doctor? Yeah. <laughs> well, but I'm going to have to do something else for Memorial Day next weekend. Yeah. Go ahead. It's very possible that you can go to one of the beach access points, yeah. go down to the, and walk along the beach in front of that person's house. They can't build barriers out into the water mm -hmm. to keep you from walking up and down the beach. 
You can sit on the beach in that area near the mean high water line. Mm -hmm. What you can't do is go up inland and hang out in their backyard. So it's that that high water mark. Right. That's the point in which the state owns the land. Right. So low tide, to your point, it opens up 20 feet, let's say, a beach. That's public. Right. Okay. Now, the state can and has sold that land from the mean high water line out to what they call the bulkhead and the pierhead line, two other lines that are established. Obviously, the bulkhead line is as far out as you can fill and build a bulkhead. The pierhead is as far out as you can build a pier. Mm-hmm. Well, that's got to do with navigation. The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers establishes those lines. However, if you are, uh, if if you if you own that property, you still it's going to be subject to that public trust doctrine. Yeah. Could you talk a little bit about riparian rights? Sure. Or the tidelands. Could you hear a lot of that on the New Jersey coast? So. Riparian, the word riparian is an interesting word because actually, in, in, in specifically, it refers to rivers, okay? But we have, we have come to use the word riparian as all water rights. Okay. That's what it's developed into. There's also something called literal rights, L-I-T-T-O-R-A-L, mm. um, which is also a water right. And, and there's... There's nuances, legal nuances. We don't need to talk about that. What we need to talk about is water rights, and that's everything riparian, right? That's what we that's what we bunch it up into. And it's significant because if you use the state's land, they want to be paid for it. And now you can, to get paid for it, can you actually buy the land, or do you have to do it on a grant or a lease? So... So yes, you can buy the the land, okay. and the land the thing that you get is called a grant. It's called a riparian okay. grant. That's the actual purchase. Yeah, of that's it, a that's fee. What we call fee simple title. You mm-hmm. own the land under the water. Understood. Uh, subject to certain uh, rights. Um, you can also lease it mm-hmm. for a certain period of time. You can also get a license for it. Mm-hmm. All right. So there's those three different things: grant, lease, license. They used to give out grants all the time for land underwater. They stopped doing that. How long ago? Okay. Uh, probably about 20, 25 okay. years ago. So we're not selling our land anymore. Now you have to either lease not, it. Not, not land underwater. Underwater. Thank okay. you. Okay, currently underwater. So I sit on the Tidelands Resource Council, have sat on the Tidelands Resource Council since uh, uh, 2013, no, 2012, I'm sorry. And um, so 11 years now. And uh, that was first created in 1869. Mm-hmm. So it's been there all this time. And what we are is a body of lay people. We don't get paid to do what we do. And we meet once a month. And the state accepts applications from individual people. Mm-hmm. They review them. They research them. And then they make a recommendation to the Tidelands Council, the body that I sit on. And we decide whether we think it's fair or not. And that recommendation is usually we would like to give a grant to this person, but this is how much money we want for it. Because it's it's a public asset. Mm-hmm. The state can't give property away. That's illegal under our Constitution. Understood. Has to be paid. It has to be fair market value, too. 
And that's fair market value today, mm -hmm. not what you bought it for 40 years ago. So the state makes their recommendation. They send it over to the council or the board that you're on. Right. And then you make the determination as to whether or not it's a fair exactly. amount of money for exactly. what they're asking for. Okay. Right. Or, or whether we even want to uh, you could approve, approve it or not. Okay. We could say, no, no, we don't think this is a good, good thing. The state is under no obligation mm -hmm. to sell their, their title interests. Now, in the last, like I said, 25 years, we've changed our policy and says, if, if we have property that's filled, okay, that's been filled, and you have a bulkhead in or whatever, and you want to buy that property, we will sell it to you. Mm -hmm. However, we won't sell you the property out in the water. We'll only give you a lease or a license mm -hmm. for the property out in the water. Okay, so if you wanted to put a dock out there, you want to put your boat there, you have, you apply for a Some lease. people's homes are out over the water. They're actually pilings in the water that hold up, mm -hmm. and half of the house is actually sticking out over the water. Mm -hmm. Those would be leases because they're long-term leases. Licenses are usually seven to 10 years. Leases are like 20 to 30 years. Okay. So, but you bring up a good point. So if, if someone's looking to purchase a house that already has that, you have a dock there, you have to know, well, how long's this license good for? How long is this lease good for? Is there one even right. in play? Did someone just put a dock out there and they didn't go through the proper channels to do it? So the important thing to remember is this. If you're going to buy a property on the water, you need to ask for a few things up front. Number one, is there an existing title policy? Number two, is there an existing survey? Number three, I want a copy of all grants, leases, licenses that you may have acquired over time, and I want to see copies of any permits, local and state, for any of the improvements. Here's the thing that people get hung up over. Mm -hmm. There's sort of two elements of the DEP. There's the area that I'm involved in, mm -hmm. which is the uh, land management, Okay, sale and management of land. And then there's land use and regulation. Okay. There is no place in New Jersey where you can disturb the water without getting a permit. So it's that anywhere. So marshlands, you're talking any body of water. Fresh water, yeah. doesn't matter, anywhere because we're concerned about our water. Well, that's a good thing from a consumer standpoint, Absolutely. that the state's very concerned uh, as to what's happening with our water. They protect it, like the natural resource that it is. That's great to hear. New Jersey's water protection regulations are more stringent than the federal governments and most other states. Hmm. And that's why we have some of the cleanest water in the, in the United States right here in New Jersey. It's delicious. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, so, so now, does the federal government get involved at all when it comes to water rights? Like, do is there a certain point that you get to, Joe, where the government owns it, and it's not the state that owns it anymore? So the the, the government doesn't doesn't own any of the water in the land uh, out off the coast. They do, sure, but uh, they do have a, uh, a say in the regulation. We know the Army Corps of Engineers, whenever we have flooding or like Superstorm Sandy, sure. beach replenishment, all that, that's always the Army Corps of Engineers that come in. So they have a significant 
influence in in how the land what we call the land water interface sure. is affected however when it comes to ownership that's that's, that's the, the domain state. of the state. state owns that land and here's the important part we've been talking about land that's on the water but say you go down you buy a piece of property in long beach island mm -hmm. you're in love ladies you're right in the middle of the peninsula, of the, the, the barrier island, mm -hmm. right? You can look to the left, you don't see the ocean. You look to the right, you don't see the bay. But meanwhile, the state of New Jersey claims that they own 50% of your property. Why? Because 100 years ago, there was a stream that ran right underneath your property. And developers came along, the turn of the century, filled it in, and didn't pay for the land. So what do you do in that situation? Is there some sort of land lease that's in play? So what you do is you go and you apply for a grant. Mm -hmm. right? uh, here's the problem. And again, so everyone, the grant is purchasing. Right, purchasing. Right. Yep. So because the land's been filled, so you're entitled to apply for a grant, here's the problem. It's based upon today's land value. Right. So what you'll see is we have cases where people buy property in 1965 in the middle of Love Ladies for $15,000. It's a 50 by 100 foot lot. At the time, it was nothing but dirt mm -hmm. or sand. And today, the property's worth $3.5 million. Sure. And the state wants their percentage of that, not the 15,000, the 3.5. So if you're someone that didn't want to do that, I'm not going to pay a million and a half dollars for land in the house that I own. Because you feel, as a consumer, you feel like you own it. Right. But, but clearly, you don't necessarily own it. Right. So is there then a process where you would lease it? Can you just ignore it? So you can't just ignore it. Okay. Because this is the bottom line. No title insurance company will insure that property because they won't take the risk of the state's that ownership. No mortgage company will lend you any money because they won't get a title policy. You get clean title, you can't do it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So you can't ignore it forever. Now, is the state going to show up at your door and put chains on the door and say you can't? No, they're not, dude. They're not in that business. They don't have the manpower or the, 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 the desire. That, that may be a bad public relations yeah, move. Yeah. <laughs> but... Basically, they've used the title industry as their police officers, yeah, okay? their enforcement agency. Sure. Uh, and the title uh, industry has taken some significant, significant uh, losses because of these policies mm -hmm. over the years. And that's why I say immediately ask for a title policy, because yeah, if there's one already, enough. maybe they're on the hook for it. Maybe you're not going to have to pay for it. So if I'm not going to go the avenue of a grant, then I can look to try to lease it or get a license for that property. That's correct. So what's the time frame with this kind of thing, Joe? I Dude, mean, do I apply for it and Joe approves it and I have it in a week? No. No, it's 18 months yeah. okay. is the average uh, amount of time that it takes to get whether a lease, a license, a uh, grant, it doesn't matter. Um, you know, it's it's bureaucracy. It's the government. uh it's uh, lack of funding. It's, uh, you know, not enough people. Uh, and, and 
it's not just people. It's not just bodies down there. I mean, I got to, uh, and I want to say this on behalf of the DEP. I don't work for the DEP. I don't get paid at all. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's the point. That's why we're brought in, because we're impartial. But the people in the DEP, they know their stuff. They've been doing this. They're, they're experts on these questions. Uh, when, you, when we get into these things and you're looking at maps, coast and geodetic surveys from 1856, you got to know your stuff. Yeah. Okay. Sounds like fun. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so, you know, they do, they do a good job. However, their job is to make sure that the state gets paid for what it's entitled to. And, um, you know, the lease or the license, you can get that. It's a temporary thing. It gets renewed every so often. There's a, an inflation escalator that goes up over time. It does not cost what the grant costs because sure. you're not buying the property. You're just, just like a vehicle. It. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, title insurance companies won't insure licenses because they're revocable license, which mm -hmm. means the state can take it back any time. Mm -hmm. That's basically your dockage and things. And, and the sure. reason that they that they retain the, the right to revoke it is a lot of people will build a dock. They'll get approval to build a dock. They get, first, they get the permit. Then they get their license. They build a dock. And then they say, you know what? It'd be nice if we add a little more dock. Or let's put in a boat lift. Well, I have let's a put in a, I have a exactly. license. And then they start expanding things, sure. but they're not paying for them. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess I'll tell you right now, they will eventually pay for them. The state will demand back rent, and that'll have to be paid. And that's another reason why if you're purchasing that property, you ask for copies of that lease or that license because you want to know, have they been keeping up the payments? Mm -hmm. Have so, they been using more of the land than they're entitled to? And is the state going to come back to you a year after you've bought this property and say, oh, by the way, you owe us mm -hmm. X. And if you don't pay it, they file what's called a notice of action letter. And it acts like a lien on your property. Right. Exactly. It's fascinating stuff, Joe. We're going to take a quick break. Sure. And I want to pick back up on this, kind of walk through the process of someone actually purchasing a property on the New Jersey shore. Okay. So we'll be right back at you. Welcome back, everyone. Greg Wareham and Joe Gravis. Joe, I tell you, this is really fascinating stuff with what's going on with trying to acquire a property in the New Jersey shore and all your insight on it. So question for you. If I'm looking to purchase a property that's on the water, or there's some sort of water rights, if there's no lease on it, or there's no grant in place, for that land? Can I even buy the house? Well, you know, I think the best thing to do is, is use an example that I've dealt with just the other day. There's a piece of property. It's $4 million. There's a bulkhead. Mm -hmm. There's a dock. And now what we find out is that the deed stops about eight feet before the bulkhead. So basically you have eight feet by 70 feet of land mm. that is, gonna, is claimed by the state of New Jersey. Okay. Right? That's 560 square feet. The dock is, does have a license. It's up to date. Uh, however, they put in some, uh, some pilings that are outside the, the license area. Mm -hmm. They put in a boat lift. They put in a, uh, a sport dock, and they're all outside of the license. So that's going to have to be dealt with, right? 
So there's going to have to be an application made to modify the license to include those things. That price is going to go up. And you're going to be responsible retroactively right. for it. Okay. And exactly. And they're going to have to get the bulkhead uh, area, that eight foot by 70 foot why property. Why would somebody do that? Like, why would you just start adding on to property that you know you do not own? Because people don't understand right. the depth of the rights of the state of New Jersey. Yeah. To them, it's just the water. Right. You know, I want to go down in the water no, and jump in the point. water. I jump in the water, right? So what's the difference if I put a floating sport dock next to my... Uh, yeah. And to use an analogy for everyone that works, so I can't just put a shed on my neighbor's lawn. I just can't do it. Exactly. And it's the same thing. It's not your land. You just can't do what you want to do with it without some sort of financial ramifications or legal ramifications yeah. with it. That's exactly it. it. Down to the point that, and, and like I said, the people at the DP are very particular, down to the point that if you had a bulkhead and then you put a deck on the top of it mm -hmm. and three feet of that deck extended over the bulkhead, over the water, it's like an on, uh, uh, like an eave on a shed that encroaches over onto your other person's sure. property, right? It's a yeah. air rights. Right. So you're going to have to pay for that three feet. Yeah. It's not your property. So now if I'm, if I'm purchasing that home as an example, let's right. use that home as an example. Okay. I'm going to purchase it. And there's clearly this 560 square feet that needs to be addressed. Seller wants to sell me the house. I want to purchase the house. What are our options to try to pass clear title on it and be able to complete the transaction if I need a mortgage? Okay. So, obviously, if you need a mortgage, you're going to have to get title insurance. Mm -hmm. That mortgage company is not going to allow any exception in the title policy for that. So, you're going to have to address it. If you were buying it cash, you could say, you know what? Knock a hundred grand off the 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 uh, purchase price. I'll buy it. I'll clean it up. Right. But in fact, that's not what's going to happen in the most cases. That means it becomes the seller's responsibility. Sure. And say yes, it's the seller's responsibility. But you want the house, right? You want to buy the house, so you're going to have to get in some sort of negotiate. It's why where it's good to have good legal representation right all right uh you know i know in south jersey uh, a lot of people aren't represented by counsel that's a mistake mm -hmm. especially when it comes to property on or near the water mm -hmm. you need this is a serious legal situation that you need to address well i'm thinking if i was going to purchase that property in cash <laughs> how can i possibly quantify what the retroactive cost is going to be from the state for that 560 square feet in our example. So there, there is a way to calculate is it. Is it a calculator yeah. you yes. plug there, in? Yes, there, are, there okay. are calculations that can be made. I, I can, and I do this all the time. Uh, you know, I'm called upon to, to come up with an estimate, okay? Mm -hmm. It's an estimate because at the end of the day, it's always up to the state. They'll hire, they hire appraisers. They have appraisers on staff. Mm -hmm. They'll look at the property. They're the ones who are gonna decide what the property is worth. Right. But there are things that you idea. can use sure. that you can come up with a, with an estimator. Um, usually what happens in those cases mm -hmm. is that the title company comes up with a number, which is what they think the grant is going to cost. They then double it. Okay. 
okay. you're only two times what we think right. the estimate's going to be. Because there's gonna, you're going to have to hire attorneys to make these applications. You're going to have to hire a special surveyor. You may have to hire an engineer, okay, depending upon the dock, the dockage and how mm -hmm. it's built and the bulkheads. So they always demand at least double. Okay, makes sense. Now, who puts that money in escrow? Is it generally the seller? So that that's really the seller's money, mm -hmm. and it goes into escrow, and it's held by the title company. Mm -hmm. Here's the problem. If that amount of money, that double the amount of money, is more cash than's coming out of the deal, mm. that could nix the deal. Right. Where are you coming up? Where are you coming up with that money? Sure. Uh, and uh, that does happen sometimes. Sure. We had a uh, one come before the council. The grant, the price of the grant, is on a residential property, one point four million dollars. Wow. One point four million dollars. The state wanted to clear that title. That doesn't leave, I don't care how much your property is worth, that doesn't leave a lot extra yeah, when number. you're selling it, right? That's a big number. So these are the these are the considerations you have to think about when you're looking at property in the sure area. Could you do me a favor, Joe, and you had said this earlier, and it'll be posted on the screen for everybody, but what do you need, what's the due diligence that the buyer needs to do up front? Right. You need what? So you need, like I said, ask for a title policy, existing title policy, an existing survey. And that's going to be important, the survey, for a couple of reasons. You're, you're going to get a new survey done, mm -hmm. but you're going to see what's the difference, right? You're okay. going to see how the property was when they bought the property and how it is today and whether they did anything to change or dis disturb the situation. So you want to see that existing survey. Then you want to know, you want to get copies of any grants, leases, licenses and permits and those could be local permits mm -hmm. many towns like little lake harbor township they require you to get a permit to do anything in a waterfront development zone however you can't get that permit until you show up with the state permit so you got to go file for the state permit first then come get the local permit so that you can put in a new bulkhead so you could put in a, a deck so you can put in a swimming pool anything basically uh, and we haven't really talked about CAFRA, the Coastal Area Facilities Review Act that's been around since the 70s, and the Waterfront Development Act. Um, those are very restrictive acts mm -hmm. and says, if you're going to do anything on or near the water, you need to come and get a permit. You need to get permission for that. And that doesn't have to be within five feet of the water. You can be in a CAFRA zone and be 500 feet mm. away from the water. All right, so when you're purchasing home on the New Jersey Shore, you want to obtain those items that Joe mentioned, you might want to call them <laughs> as well, go a little bit deeper on it. Uh, I'm going to shift gears a little bit. Sure. So Superstorm Sandy. So we have the shifting of earth in a storm like that. Mm -hmm. How does that impact things like tidelands and, and riparian rights? See, this guy's a smart guy, because <laughs> that's a really smart question. So what happened on that day is something referred to as avulsion. Mm -hmm. Avulsion. It's the, the sudden adding, right? change in the land mm -hmm. because of a natural event, okay? 
That's very different from what we call accretion and erosion, mm. which is the gradual and imperceptible change. When accretion or erosion occurs, title changes hands. So if I own property and some of my property erodes away, it becomes the state's land. Mm -hmm. If I own property and all of a sudden, like you ever go to Wildwood and walk a million miles down to the water, it's right? It's fantastic. That's all accretion. Yeah, that's all accretion. And that and accretion now, being the adding of land. Exactly. And that, uh, that adds to your title. You own all the way down to the mean high water line. Avulsion doesn't change title. Interesting. So right afterwards, and the best example is is a manloking, right? When it busted through there yeah. and uh, there was that little house sitting in the middle of the water. I remember. They were able to come right in with bulkheading, pop it in, fill behind it, and everything was fine and no title changed hands. All right, so if it's the immediate change, sudden change by a storm, nothing changes. Right. If it's the gradual change, you can gain land or you can lose land. Exactly. And that changes over the course of time. So and that's time. why people defend their shoreline. They mm -hmm. build bulkheads so that it prevents that Great from point. happening. Great point. So how about marshlands? Because you always hear this. So this is what you hear. Well, there's <clears throat> marshlands over there. No one can ever build. Right. And... Is that really true? I mean, how does, because that's water as well. So you're mixing, you're mixing two things here. Okay. okay? You're, you're, you're mixing the pot, the concept of tidelands and freshwater wetlands, right? At two some totally separate things. Well, I mean, yes and no, right? Then we've got that, what, brackish water uh -huh. where it's part tidelands and part. And there's a lot of rules, Joe. Right. <laughs> exactly. So... You know, just because something is in a wetland area doesn't mean that it can't be developed. There are ways that, that wetland areas can be filled or elevated, uh, but usually it requires you to preserve wetland somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So if you're a developer and you want to build a little bit more, on, you own the adjoining land and then it's got some marshlands and, and that's freshwater wetlands and you say, okay, we're going to fill that. And they say, okay, you can do that, but you're going to have to go buy double or triple the amount of same land somewhere else and preserve, and it. preserve it forever. You make it open space okay. and it's going to be green acres and it'll stay there forever. Is that why we have so many parks in New Jersey? Well, yeah, that's right. That's yeah. one of the reasons. Huh. Yeah. Yep. Uh, that I makes know. perfect sense. And a lot of towns are, are really big. In my town of Freehold, you drive down the road, there's a big sign that says 7,000 acres of green acres preserved, you know. Right. And that's important. Sure. That's important. I moved to Freehold 30 years ago, and it was mostly farmlands. It's not so much anymore. You know, there's a lot of development. And so it's important to preserve those lands because it's not just a matter of preserving lands and traffic patterns and things like that. It's about the quality of the water sure. and the quality of life. Yeah, I mean, it's great. That's great, Joe. Thanks for sharing that with us, because that's important to know. I always wonder why there are so many parks in New Jersey, because you have all this construction, all this housing everywhere, and that, that makes sense. It's kind of similar to affordable housing, right? Yep. If you're going to put in new construction, a certain percentage of what you're putting in has to be affordable housing somewhere, right. and the same with the water. So I, I'm going to shift gears a little bit to flooding, and does that have any impact at all? I know it's a site. So flooding is like like a whole third thing, yeah. okay? And, uh, you know, the flood hazard areas uh, are regulated by FEMA. 
they create a set of maps and that shows where the special flood hazard, everybody's in a flood hazard zone. Right. Everybody, even on top mountains, in a flood hazard zone. What you don't want to be is in a special flood hazard right. zone because that means that at certain periods of time, every 50 years, every 100 years or whatever, there is going to be a flood, all right? Which means you're going to need flood insurance, which is, quite frankly, subsidized by everybody in the United States. Right, through FEMA. Right, because through FEMA. Because private insurers long ago said, this is too big a risk. Mm -hmm. We're not going to take it. And I'll tell you why it's too big a risk. It's because when there's a flood, it's not just like, well, you know, you got homeowner's insurance, your house burns down, maybe a house next door might get singed. But it's it's one claim, it's one loss. Mm -hmm. There's a flood, there's Everything. multiple losses. Right. And so private insurance can't sustain that. You might get that it through impact a, at one yeah, shot. You might it get sense. it through a private insurance carrier, mm -hmm. but it's actually uh, uh, subsidized by FEMA. Makes sense. Exactly. So I tell you, Joe, I really appreciate your time. You're clearly an expert in this area, and you literally wrote the book. I mean, I know you wrote a book, Owning New Jersey, Historic Tales of War, Property Disputes, and the Pursuit of Happiness. Everyone should check it out if you want to learn more about the state of New Jersey and title and some of the things that we were talking about. Check out Joe's book, uh, and your contact information will be here as well if you have any questions. So thanks so much for spending the time with us. Today, I appreciate Jeff. that. I appreciate the time here, and uh, and hopefully uh, we'll we'll get together again. Soon. That sounds great. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks a lot. All right. So if you're looking to buy on the Jersey Shore or anywhere where there's water around, I hope you learned a few really important things today. You know, specifically having to apply for a grant, a lease, or a license if you're dealing with a property that's on the water. We talked about how that ownership of land can change over the course of time whether or not you're adding to your property, you're losing from your property. It was very, very thorough. We appreciate Joe Gravis today for being on the show and look forward to catching up with you next week. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Your Mortgage Process, hosted by Greg Wareham, produced by Greg Wareham and Nick Pavise at The Social Rift and executively produced by The Social Rift. Thank you again for tuning in and we look forward to catching up with you next week.